Welcome to Plants and Our Health. I'm Tom. I'm Helena. And I'm Aaron. We're getting a fair way through the season by now. We've already had plants in our mental health and plants on our plates as themes. And now for the next two episodes, we're going to turn our attention to plants as our medicines. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Marcus Rissom, a plant molecular ecologist at the Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh. Marcus has a keen interest in plant-based medicines. He uses them in his everyday life and he has also led some interesting research using DNA barcoding, that is, sequencing sections of DNA to allow you to identify species, to investigate whether herbal supplements available at UK shops contain what they say on the label. Today on Plants in Our Health, we have Marcus Rusum. Maybe you want to introduce yourself. Hello, yes, I'm a plant molecular ecologist at the Botanic Garden and I've been employed there for more than 10 years now. And you might be wondering what a plant molecular ecologist does and it's more or less using the DNA of the plants to answer more or less interesting questions of evolutionary importance. And some of your work, some of the DNA barcoding that you do also has applied uses in society some of the research that you've done we're going to talk about a bit later on has some applied uses is that right yes that's correct one of the most applied work i've done was looking at herbal supplements and more or less finding out whether what's on the label is also in the in the box and i think in general maybe i'm wrong but i think in general people maybe don't appreciate how important plants have been for our medicines and um, not just even for alternative medicines yeah that's true plants have been used throughout millennia as the main source of, of medicine and that has only been replaced by more chemical pharmaceutical drugs in the last 50 years or so but it's still uh, a large part of the medicines we use are actually plant-based or stem from plants originally. So plants still have an important role to play in medicine. For sure, yeah. Some of my favorite ones that I came across, I was just kind of looking into different plant-based medicines and well, there was L-DOPA, which seems to be the forerunning treatment for Parkinson's and that's derived from a plant. There was also, I think it was called the Madagascar periwinkle. There's two species and they're yes. both used to treat leukemia. And of course, aspirin. Aspirin comes from exactly. willows. That's yes. a pretty fun one. Did you have any that you know of? I think the most uh, interesting I've come across is this medicinal recipe from the 10th century, an Anglo-Saxon uh, recipe, which was discovered in the British um, Library, that book, and it's called Bold's leech book and it contains one recipe which is called Bold's eyes out and was used to treat styes and researchers have taken that recipe which is a quite simple recipe it contains onion garlic wine and ox gall and wanted to see whether this is really effective to treat sty 
which is a bacterial infection. So whether this kind of uh, whole recipe is antibacterial, because from the ingredients alone, it didn't really suggest that this was a great way to treat bacterial infections. But it turned out that it was an amazing recipe to fight bacterial infection, including MRSA, the superbug that is prevalent in hospitals and can't be treated with antibiotics anymore effectively. And that's from a 10th century textbook that can offer relevance in yeah, modern science. Wow. Well, I think your example has like, definitely trumped mine. <laughs> That's very unexpected. See, this is why we have to bring people like you on the show. <laughs> I'm not an expert in things like this. How did you hear about that? You just kind of scan the literature. I'm, I'm interested in plant-based medicines, and then you come across these things when you just yeah, look on various websites or in various publications. Okay. I mean, antibiotics are a big issue. Obviously, there's concerns over their overusage, and the more new things we find, potential directions that we can be leading medicine in is a fantastic thing. And the fact that some of those are coming from plants, I mean, just goes to show how important plants are continuing to be, not even just historically, but right now for our medicines. I think they will become even more important because generally antibiotics, the synthetic antibiotics are more or less single compound drugs and bacteria can easily develop resistance against single compounds whereas uh, antibacterial plant-based compounds have yeah loads of different synergistic compounds which bacteria or vi uh, viruses can't really develop resistance against there are too many things at the same time and they can't develop resistance against them and that makes them promising and powerful approach in the future as well it certainly sounds like it yeah so why are we concerned about when we overuse antibiotics? How is it that the bacteria that we're trying to fight with antibiotics are developing resistance to them? It's because bacteria have a very short reproduction cycle. So within, let's say, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, they can produce a new generation <laughs> of bacteria. Whereas with humans, we take 20 to 25 years to produce the next generation. Bacteria can do that within minutes, more or less. Yeah, they're and much more efficient than us. Exactly, yes. And when they reproduce, they can adapt to certain things because DNA gets replicated. And sometimes there are replication errors which prove beneficial. And if you do that very often, it's more likely that you come up with a replication error that is beneficial against a certain thing, like an antibiotic, for example. And because those antibiotics are more or less single compound drugs, it's easy for them to develop resistance against it. Whereas if you have multiple compounds that affect your organism, you're much less likely to develop resistance against it. And actually, I don't know of any plant medicine which bacteria viruses are resistant again against wow so yeah it definitely seems like that's something we should be turning our attention towards yes so being interested in plant-based medicines yourself is that what got you into the the research project which i was reading about and which we're going to chat a little bit about yes exactly yeah the project was looking at herbal supplements available to 
the UK public, am I right? And yes. you were looking at what they contained, whether they contained what they said on the label. Exactly. And so how about did you go about doing that? The project came about because in the last 10 years, when barcoding really took off, we, we saw that, so the scientific community saw that there's a lot of questionable substances in some of the products. I mean, one that really hit the, the media head, headlines was the horse meat scandal. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And that was uh, detected by DNA barcoding. So there are loads of other examples where suddenly it appeared that a product is not quite as pure as you would, would like it to be. There's the different additional compounds in it or different additional species in teas, in fish. And, and it really kind of mushroomed this DNA barcoding science looking at products and then ascertaining whether what's on the label is also in the product. And we thought herbal supplements are a great thing to look at. They are popular and we've chosen Siberian ginseng and golden root. These are two supplements which are widely available on the UK market and are used as anti-fatigue, anti-stress, anti-cancer, immune-enhancing supplements that also have a proven kind of scientific basis. And it turns out that, for example, in Siberian ginseng, we found that Although all the products had Siberian ginseng in them, more than a third also had a different species of Eleutherococcus, is the kind of scientific genus. And Siberian ginseng is Eleutherococcus senticosus. And there were also other species of Eleutherococcus in that product. For the golden root, we found an even kind of higher supplementation of different species. A golden root, the scientific name is Rhodiola rosea, and 50% of the products we looked at contained a different golden root species than it actually said on the label. That's quite significant as well, finding that the species that they say is going to be in there is actually perhaps not, or perhaps it's diluted with other things, because although some of the other species that end up in there might have medicinal properties, they might not be what exactly the customer's looking for. They might be for other things. Exactly. Uh, I heard they could even have some adverse effects if people are, are not going to react to each species in the same kind of way. Definitely. There's, there's an example of a medicinal herb. It's called black cohosh, which is used for menopausal symptoms. And it was done 10 years ago because sometimes the product worked really well. Sometimes it didn't do anything at all. And in a few cases, it actually caused real problems for that person. And DNA barcoding showed that quite a few of the black cohosh products didn't contain the right species. Black cohosh is a species that is uh, native to North America, but there are also Asian species, which are sometimes poisonous. And some of those black cohosh products contained those Asian, Asian species and not the North American species. And, well... Yeah, you can imagine that the ones that didn't contain the North American species didn't produce the results you were expecting or actually produced problems for the person who took it. 
But just because, well, I'm hoping that we're going to say what I think you're going to say, because this is about plants and our health. And I really wouldn't like that this study would scare everyone away from taking plant-based <laughs> medicines, thinking that they're all contaminated and they're going to be dangerous for our health. So is there perhaps a way that you can responsibly source your supplements, perhaps not buy them from dodgy places online? Or So what's, what's the kind of scope there for buying reliable herbal, herbal supplements that are likely to work for you? I suppose well-known trusted manufacturer is a good place to go. If you buy things on eBay from kind of an unknown seller in China or so, I'd be more cautious. But generally, you can trust what you're buying, but you have to be careful sometimes when you buy it from unreliable sources. And I don't want to say that if the products are adulterated, that they are dangerous. That's not, not necessarily the case, but in the vast majority of cases, it's fine. Like with the Siberian ginseng and the golden root study, Siberian ginseng, there are about 40 species in the genus Eleutherococcus. There are quite a few that are medicinally used. And I think eight of those occur in a similar area in China and are often used interchangeably. So if you don't have a 100% Siberian ginseng product, which you would expect when you buy it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is dangerous if you take it. It might just mean that the people who collected the stuff thought that a certain species is interchangeable with another species and mixed it in. But I, as a consumer, would then want to know that this only contains Eleutherococcus centicosus or whether there is another species of Eleutherococcus in it. Yeah, so it seems like the majority of mixing actually isn't dangerous. It's still good for your health. But what would be important is that we see what actually is in the container listed on the container. Exactly. I mean, if you want to buy a Mercedes... A Mercedes? A Mercedes, a yes. Yeah. Then <laughs> Where are we going here? <laughs> uh, you, you, you might be to be happy to get a BMW instead, but you want to know that you get a BMW. <laughs> That's true. But if you expect to buy a Mercedes and you get a, a Safira Vauxhall, run-of-the-mill Vauxhall car, then you might not be so happy. So I think <laughs> to make the decision here is you need to know what you're buying. And if you want a Mercedes, then you will only buy a Mercedes. And you can do that when you see that Mercedes sign <laughs> on, on, on that car. And that's kind of the label. That's and true. So the herbal yeah. product where it says Eleutherococcus centicosus, then you want to be sure that this is the thing you're buying. Yeah, I mean, cars are not something I'm familiar with. I've failed my driving test three times, <laughs> okay. but I'm, I, I think everyone deserves to know what the products they're buying are. And yeah, if we, if we have them for cars, we should have them for our herbal supplements as well. And so there's, there's multiple reasons why the contamination and swapping of species might occur, isn't there? Obviously, some of the species also have medicinal properties, but... The rhodiola species, I was reading that that's also quite threatened because of it's in high demand. Yes. And so was that driving any incentive to swap this in-demand species for other ones which kind of might pass? Oh, definitely, yes. The more expensive the ingredient is, the less likely it is to be replaced by something else which is less expensive. 
<laughs> there's, there's also another layer with the rhodiola because there are about 90 rhodiola species and most of the rhodiola species are still wild collected. And if those species grow together and they're morphologically quite similar and you are kind of not an expert in identification, the people who collect and process the, the herbal supplements there, they just take probably anything that looks like rhodiola and then that's where the mixing comes in. So there's not an, in, an intention to deceive people. It's just, yeah, they thought it was the, that species, but it turned out to be a different species because it looks very similar to the one they actually they should collect. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not even just um, restricted to plant-based medicines. These natural resources that are in demand, they can threaten the species that these resources come from. And that can also lead to species that weren't intended to be in there, ending up being in there and things like that. Definitely, yeah. I think it's quite interesting that there's not so much of a public appreciation maybe for there being plant-based medicines and how important they are. But at the same time, there are plants out there which are so in demand that they are threatened because of it. Yes, exactly. And Rhodiola is one of those. It's not threatened in, in, in Britain, but it's threatened in certain countries in Asia, for example. That's where all the collecting takes place. Yeah. So in this theme, in terms of plants being important to medicine, why do you think it is so important that people recognize plants' importance? What do you think it might give for plants, for us? Why do you think it's important? I think it's important because it gives you more responsibility for looking after your own health. If I do not depend on a drug that is manufactured in a factory, but actually I can go out and collect myself in the area where I live, then that gives you a lot of power and responsibility for your own health as well. It gives you a lot more connection to nature and how it actually nurtures us and how, how much we depend on nature and therefore fosters kind of more and environmental awareness and care for the environment as well. If, yeah. if, if I know that I depend on plants that grow out there, I can just collect myself. I, I personally collect elderflower and elderberries every year and make my own antiviral tinctures and teas. And that kind of yeah creates this connection to nature and to what's around us. And I think that's really important. For sure. I would love to see a world where we're all just a little bit more aware of where our health support system is coming from. And if we recognize perhaps that plants are a huge part of that, then it will give us a greater sense of connection to caring for plants and prioritizing nature protection, which obviously as ecologists, we're a bit biased towards, but yes. <laughs> it is a, a huge, huge issue right now, of course. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, maybe I, I, I should mention something that happened four years ago or so. My son, he was, I think, four or five years old, and he developed that funny thing on his head, like a little scalp flaking off and, uh, and building up. Was it some kind of infection? Exactly. So we went to see the doctors, and the doctor said, that's a bacterial infection, and the first thing is antibiotics. I think antibiotics are very powerful and great medicine, but as you said, overused, completely overused. And that's why we have this problem of uh, resistance. And basically, they should be the last resort because antibiotics 
destroy your gut flora. And the gut flora is 80% of your immune system. And if you take antibiotics, you certainly weaken your immune system. So I wasn't really keen on my four-year-old son to have those antibiotics. And interestingly, he didn't want to take them. Just there was no way of getting it down his throat. And Just a rebellious child yes. being like, I will not take my medicines. <laughs> but then I thought, hang on, it's a bacterial infection. I've got plenty of tinctures I made myself, which are antibacterial. And I just try and use those topical on his head. And within three weeks, the whole thing was gone and never came back. So that's an example where antibiotics were prescribed, but not really necessary at all. They were much safer and more healthy alternatives, which I could make myself. And I'm sure there are plenty of other examples there where plant-based medicines can be an alternative and a good replacement for something that might be not so beneficial for your whole health in the long run. Yeah, and not to insult your skills, I'm sure you're <laughs> very skillful when it comes to herbal medicines, but I'm sure if you can do it, other people can also do it. Uh, definitely. Def it, it's very easy. I mean, you have to have an interest, but there's nothing really technical or difficult about it. To make your own tincture, you just need a bit of alcohol and your herbal remedy. And then you steep it in that alcohol for four weeks or so, and then you strain it, and that's, that's your tincture there. It's nothing more than making a herbal tea yourself. It's just with alcohol for a longer period of time. But Yeah, and we, we all experiment making rather confusing cakes and pieces of food and things, especially over recent during yes. lockdowns and whatnot. So yeah, I'm sure it's very achievable. And I, I want to take away the fear of using plants as medicine. There's always the fear of, yeah, I'll poison myself or is that plant really usable for medicine? I mean, we know so much about the good plants that can be used as medicines. And if you can identify those plants, then there's no reason why you shouldn't use them. And there are plants like dandelion. This is, is an amazing liver tonic. And everybody recognizes a dandelion. <laughs> yeah. And perhaps this recognizing that plants are already in so many of our medicines is a good step towards being more open to working with herbal medicines yourself. Definitely. And there, there are so many common plants out there you can use, like dandelion, like nettle, for example, like elder, that are easily identifiable. And why not start with those and then build up your confidence? Yeah. I mean, if this wasn't the middle of a pandemic right now, I might just ask you for a, a herbal medicines workshop. This <laughs> <laughs> afternoon of how to treat yourself. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your expertise and fun stories. You're very welcome. And I guess I won't see you at work, but I guess I'll maybe speak to you again yes. soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Aaron. It was, was, was a great pleasure to be on, on that podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of Plants in Our Health. If you'd like to quiz Marcus more on his research or on his knowledge of medicinal plants, you can email him at mrusam, that's R-U-H-S-A-M, at rbge.org.uk. 
I personally also have a few friends who enjoy foraging for food and herbal remedies, so if you're looking for a companion to maybe explore your local plant life and learn about their medicinal properties, feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter at Aaron Devere. That's double A-R-O-N-D-E-V-E-R-E-S. You can also email me at adevere at rbge.org.uk. This episode of Plants and Our Health was produced by Aaron Devere and brought to you by Not Another Science Podcast from the Edinburgh University Science Magazine, where we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done right here in Edinburgh. If you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or a suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or at our Twitter, at UCI. That's at E-U-S-C-I. You can also shoot us an email at uci.podcasts at gmail.com and you can see the show notes and leaf through the latest issue of the magazine at uci.org.uk. Not Another Science Podcast is hosted by me, Tom Edwick, and my partner in crime, Helena Corning. The podcast manager is Alex Bailey and the terrific episode art for this series was designed by Heather Jones, our social media and marketing genius. Thank you for listening and until next time, keep it leafy.